In the back of my mind, Christian life was a treadmill. We just slowly turned the treadmill up. Crisis is not our enemy. In fact, nothing good happens without crisis. We see people living in a kind of way that we would like to follow, charting a kind of route. I guess I'd gone from worshipping the waves that God made to worshipping the God who made the waves, and surely that's got to be so much more inspiring. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Incense Podcast. We had the pleasure this week of having Mandy Nelson and Scott Morin in the studio. These are two longtime friends that I think you're going to really enjoy. We get a little deep this week. We dive into a particular word from the Old Testament that has some really astonishing implications. Um, that might sound like we're getting a little bit into Blaine's epistemology zone, but I think you'll actually be surprised at not only some of their story, but also some of what this word means and its connection throughout the scripture and its uh, implications for our lives. It's one that has changed a lot of people's lives. So hope you guys enjoy it. Scott and Mandy, thank you guys for joining us today. I'm really excited to be exploring mm, this word, its implications, sharing a little bit of your story because I love you guys and, and I love what you've brought and your story obviously is a huge part of that. I almost want to just drop the listener, drop us into you're standing in Jerusalem. You're, you're wandering through the Middle East. How did you get there? What made you want to be there? What made you study the Bible to the extent that you do? Uh, and, and all of those desires, like I feel like they're all super interconnected and they're all very intriguing. You know, Mandy will probably have a different answer than me because I first got dropped into the Holy Land in 97 before I even had met her, actually. And I was uh, taking geographical and historical settings of the Bible at uh, Jerusalem University College. And I remember even before getting into the Holy Land that when I started studying the original languages, I actually started to get mad because I realized that there were all kinds of things and nuggets in there that I didn't know about, that I had never seen before. And I think that fueled my fire to really dive into the languages because there was, I remember our professor going through this one uh, psalm or I actually don't even remember what the passage was, but they were talking about how there was pun after pun after pun in there and none of them came through in English. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so that is some of what led to my first entrance into the Holy Land. Hmm. For me... I think it was being introduced to studying in an interactive style with some wonderful friends back in Minnesota. So I was raised in the church, you know, accepted Jesus when I was four while holding some little Bible school picture cartoon thing about salvation. And I was raised in the church, spent some time in different Christian schools. So I was rooted in the Word from a young age, but it wasn't actually until adulthood and I would say mainly 30s adulthood, where I just fell in love with the word. And it was through diving into some of the original language meanings of words in Scripture and interacting with them, talking with friends about them, being able to share ideas, bounce things off each other. And so when this group of friends said, let's go to Israel, I was absolutely all for that. Like, yes, sign me up yesterday. I want to go. And it was amazing. It was amazing to be in this land that has so much more history than anything we can imagine here in America because our country is not nearly 
as old or ancient in its stories and heritage as a place like Jerusalem is. One of my favorite moments from my second trip to Jerusalem was when in Israel we had just landed, and I remember Jesus saying, let me show you my land. Let me show you my land. And that, you know, just like sucked me right in for the rest of the trip. Hmm. What a tour guide. Now, you guys weren't preparing to become pastors. Like most people would be studying Greek and Hebrew as part of seminary, as part of like the long goal of like also learning how to run potlucks and manage a team. (laughs) Right. This wasn't a trajectory that you're already on, right? Like this thing kind of came out of left field. There was something surprising about there being puns in the Bible. And you're like, wait, how come nobody told me this? Yeah. What's what, What surprised you guys right as you started stepping into those waters? Well, honey, you had an experience in seminary with the whole what pastoring could look like world a long time before I did. So, Well, I did originally go to seminary thinking it was going to end up doing overseas missions type of stuff or pastoring type of stuff. But then what I discovered while I was there is God became this thing I studied instead of this person I related to. And so I came out of there pretty burnt out. There were things I loved about seminary. There were things I hated. I was probably burnt out in every area of my life when I came out of there. I was burnt out financially, spiritually, mentally, physically, just just wiped. And actually went into a two-year depression and moved in with my parents after living out of the house for eight years. And everything said, you know, the, the people around me, including the Christians around me said, you know, you've got the degrees to do what you want to do. And I'm 26 years old, you know, kind of go do it. And I realized that I just wasn't ready. I was stuck in my own addictions and also had lost some faith in God too. It turned into a season of moving back toward God and really building my own character for probably, you know, 10 to 14 years, depending upon how you want to count it, because we didn't start what we're doing until I was 40. And that was, you know, that journey after seminary started around 26. So So you've just said what we're doing. What are you doing? (laughs) Off the record or on the record, Blaine? On the record. On the record, what are we doing? We are in our sixth year of running Empowering Ranch, which is our ministry-focused business. And there are a lot of different streams that go into Empowering Ranch. One is teaching Socratically. So it's teaching small groups, uh, nonprofit staff, house churches, youth groups, whoever wants us to come in. We teach them from the original languages. So we'll take a passage of scripture and we will dive all the way in and pull out. Did you know this word has three meanings, nine meanings? Here's where this word is used in other places in scripture. And then we ask questions about how people can connect to those words or those core ideas. There's nothing wrong with one person up front speaking. That has become the dominant model in a lot of Christianity right now. And what we're trying to do is invite people's voices so that we can learn from each other, not just from one person up front. So yes to the speakers up front and yes to studying in community and realizing we're all called priests. So you've got the spirit inside of you. Sam's got the spirit. Scott's got the spirit. I've got the spirit. Watch out for the synergy when we all get to share. Uh, so that's one of the things we do. We do pastoral counseling. We do speaking as well. And then we also offer reflective walking meditation experiences for corporations. So that's what we're up to. Well, you named at the beginning the reason that we wanted to have 
a conversation with you for the benefit of our dudes looking at you and also for you listening, ladies. Um, but it's around language and it's around some of the game changers that you introduced to our community, first to Sam, then I was you know, lucky enough to wind up in the right room around core pieces, especially that get introduced very early on. And I'm hinting to without being an expert. So I'm just like waiting for you guys to jump in and be like, well, actually, it's introduced. Yeah, I mean, something that I, I love about any story is when things feel like they open outward. So yeah. it just feels like there's hmm. uh, a reference or a family or an event, something where you're like, there's a whole story there that we may not get to know, but there's a richness. Like it, it almost feels like if you scratch behind the little bit of a story you get, there's more. And that's something to me that's uh, light, heavy. doesn't really matter if I'm reading science fiction or if I'm um, re- reading a, a very different book, like the Bible, for instance. I want there to be, like, I, I want there to be a little bit more than just if I scratch behind and, and it value. Kind of, yeah, right. And they just, what if it ends? Like what if it was a cul-de-sac? What if it was, and obviously there's a little bit, I, my mind's kind of thinking about the word we're going to explore, but that's something I've really enjoyed and gotten a lot out of what you do is take people into words and names and meanings and and bring them to life. So the word that I asked for you guys to to bring was something you, that, man, I think everyone that Susie or I have passed on snippets of what you guys have offered has like totally changed their lives. We have friends who have named organizations after this word. We have people who have changed their direction of their life after this word. We have people that now cling to it as a measure of goodness. So like there's, you guys actually wrote an article about it. Um, I think a couple of years ago for Ansons, but it's so good. I kind of want to like point you guys and then just let you go. Um, the word is Tove. Yes. Tell us about Tove. <laughs> Before we jump into Tove, you, no, you can't renege. He threw the word out there, and it's so good. <laughs> you you talked about how with the story opening outward, that's a cool picture. But I love how comparing words to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt more than any city in the world thirty six times, I think it is. And it feels like no matter how many layers you go down with. Uh, the Holy Land, there's always another layer. And I think scripture and good stories are the same way. No matter how deep you go, there's always another layer or another avenue to open outward. So uh, I I like how you said that about Tove. And I think that's what we'll find as we dive into Tove, that there's just many layers to it. Well, and back to what we were talking about earlier, we both were teachers in the public school system for over a decade, right? So we love interacting with people. We love teaching and engaging. But this love of how multi-layered scripture is, how rich it is, that came once we started discovering it uh, and, and plunging all the way underwater with it. So, yeah, let's do Tove. Let's awesome. eat Tove. Let's drink Tove. Let's be it. <laughs> so, where do we start? Genesis. It's always good to start at the very beginning. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, though. I'm not going to sing it. So, the first time a word is used in Scripture, 
or one of the first times, it often gives a template for how the word is going to be used throughout the rest of the story. Or a pattern or a theme. Yeah, yeah. And the word tov is the Hebrew word for good. So we know from the very beginning of the creation story, that word shows up like crazy. It's just popping all over the creation story. And Not every day is called tov, but almost every day. Yeah. And so the third day, day three, is a wonderful example of getting at the heart of what's happening with Tov. You know, you're going to get the Mandy translation, so understand this is probably a little bit more theatrical, but it's not overdone in terms of what's happening in this day. God is essentially speaking to creation in these verses that make up day three, and he's saying, like, earth— I'm putting seeds of life inside of you. Bring them forth. And don't just bring them forth. Like, bring them forth in such a way that they bear fruit. And not just fruit, like fruit with seeds. Fruit with seeds. That's to the earth that God is speaking. Well, we as humans, we are literally, Adam is taken of the Adama, of the earth, the land. So, like, what does it mean for God to be speaking to us and saying, ah, bring forth what I've put inside of you. And it's after the land, the earth has brought forth this life that's going to explode all over the place with more life and more life. Then God says, it is tov. It is good. A picture of it would be like seeds becoming an orchard, but then all of those trees in that orchard dropping more and more seeds and all of those seeds going on to become orchards. That's one picture of just the explosiveness and expansiveness of Tov. So fun. It's just, well, just at the beginning, simply to contrast it with like a classical Greek concept of goodness would actually equate to a level of like wholeness. But that that's really positively connotative because I don't like it that much because it's isolated. It's like a thing is good when it is itself in utter isolation, like, you know, you can like, it's the perfect marble figure floating in a void, and this is the done thing. That's the word I was thinking of when it's done. Right. And it just feels like such a contrast from what we actually have, what you guys are explaining about this conception in Genesis of, well, actually, it's not, it's the furthest thing from isolation. It's actually looks more like continuity. Well, and it's never done, right? Mm. Because we're called to live these incredibly tov lives. Like, oh, I lived a good life. You know, I hope nobody ever says that of me at the end of my life. She lived a good life. I want them to say I lived a tov life. Like, I lived a life that, it's going to live way on. Jesus in me is going to live way on beyond my time here. That So it's never done. If we are living fully alive and doing, being the tov we were meant to be, we're never done. I love the life that begets life that begets life. I mean, it's back to that kind of cul-de-sac analogy of uh, things that open outward, things that bear for, I think of Monsanto now as being like the worst thing ever when they make perennial, is it perennial or is it annual? No, perennial is like when it comes back every year, right? So they make these seeds that have no, that do not have the ability to, they're just have more done. seeds next year. So like, here's your corn and come back and buy more corn seeds yep. from us next year. That's yep. just the opposite of Tove. It cuts it off. It cuts off life. I have two questions 
right away. Okay. And you guys, as the experts, take these and just start answering the one that's more helpful. Because <laughs> my first question is, you've just kind of gestured towards this, Mandy, by saying, I want to live away in a Tove way where the impact of Christ in me is going out. But I still want to know, what does it in that view mean to live in a way that reflects Tove? What does it look like to live a Tove life? Yeah, I'm going to stop you there because if you have another part of that question, it's not helpful. Well, I, it's totally different. The other question is, <laughs> but I want to so know, no, no, right. know the answer to that question. Well, I think to one place to start with that one is Genesis 2, 7 that talks about God breathing into Adam or Adam, the breath of life. And so in this whole Tove concept and analogy that we're trying to draw between Genesis 1, 11, and 12 and the seed going into the earth and humans is that when God breathes into us, God is breathing into us those seeds. And so those seeds are our souls and our hearts and our spirits and all of our gifting. And like God has planted a bunch of seeds in you that makes you Blaine and a bunch of seeds in you that makes you Sam. And in each of us, there's something unique that if each of us doesn't bring forth what's planted inside of us, no one else will because we're each that unique. We have that many seeds that are unique. So I just wanted to put that piece on the table as you ask your t question and we talk about it. Mm. Well, you know, I don't know if now's a good time to mention this or not, but I, so I'm working on a kid's book on Tove. And one of the things I've done to do research is to get some of my friends' kids in the room, you know, like give them gourmet cupcakes and blow up some balloons <laughs> and then teach them Tove and ask them if they can essentially teach it back to me. And so one of the ways I did that was by asking them to draw pictures of, okay, what do you understand Tove to be? So I don't know if it'd be helpful. This is the per perfect time for this. Okay, because we have our ideas, our adult ideas of what Tove is, and I'm, I'm sure they're really Tove, but sometimes kids come <laughs> But maybe up, a little bit stiff. Maybe right, we're thinking yes. about like a, a good life. Right, right. So I'm I, thinking of like, you know, Russian nesting dolls functionally. <laughs> not a bad analogy. Yeah. <laughs> a little so, freaky, but... Well, one of, one of the kids who was doing this whole Tove thing, uh, he actually made a hand puppet of Yoda and colored the whole thing, you know, with like the neon green and all of that. I was so amused. I didn't really ask him to do a, a thorough explanation of why he thinks Yoda is Tove. But if you wanted to geek out on it, Sam, I have no doubt that you could... Oh, we could probably draw a I mean, right? Like, teach probably, the next generation right, and watch them step into their and calling. Over, and yeah, right. So, teachers. So, I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Uh, so, I'm going to show you three. You haven't seen this, these, but I brought with me a couple of kids' drawings of Tove. What okay. do you say Tove is? So, tell me what you see. Wow. Okay. So... Um, I see middle of the page, two stick figures, um, but they actually are rendered with bodies, which is impressive for this kid. <laughs> and then right next to them is what looks like a playground slide where you climb up the ladder and then go down the slide. And in the bottom of the drawing, there's maybe a stick figure climbing a tree, but the but there's text on the top and it says, take taking turns. Take in turns. I think it's that's a it, G. I think it is supposed to be take in Taking turns. turns. Yes. So, so what's happening here, So Mandy? like one kid, uh, well, I think one kid, 
by the slide is giving the other kid the opportunity to go first, right? And kindness begets kindness. That's the hope anyway. So this this sweet little kid was saying, hey, if I let somebody go in front of me on the slide, they're going to feel better about themselves or themselves and then go, you know, do something kind to another person and watch it spread. I thought that was cute. Very, I mean, very a, pay it forward. Yeah, deal. yeah. Like watch it be contagious. Yeah. I like the idea of sewing it into a person versus passing on the obligation to do like to do another nice thing, but just believing that you let them go first and it's gonna produce a kind of effect in them. Hmm. Not bad. Not Wh- bad at all. What yeah. what else do they have? This is great. Okay, this this one's more straightforward. Quite a good artist here too. Wow. The cycle of life equals Tove. We got a baby into a toddler, into an elementary schooler, to a middle schooler, college, an adult, and there's a a girl sort of aging with all those those stages. Yeah. And then the adult is probably not transformed back into a baby. But right, there's right. some understanding that the baby is coming from the adult. Right. Like the cycle continues. So I think, you know, this kid took a very literal explanation of, well, you have a seed and you bring it forth and then it produces more. I, and, of course, one doesn't have to have biological children to be sowing tove into others. You speak life. Watch it explode. Give a word of encouragement. Watch it explode. I think one of the cool things that's happening with even these drawings is just this idea that there are the seeds in us. And, you know, I would assume that all of us here have probably judged someone. And... I find that it's easy to walk away from time with people and to focus on what I didn't like. And I feel like Tove provides an opportunity to walk away. And Manny and I have been keeping each other accountable on this whenever we walk out of some sort of a social situation. Just say, hey, let's talk about each person's Tove. Or if we're in the actual situation to try to find it. Like, let's say I'm with someone who I just don't jive with very well or that I'm even extremely bugged by, right? Like they have something of Tove in them as well. And can I find it? Can I find that seed or several seeds, even if there's a whole bunch of other stuff covering it? Can I find the seed? Can I call it out and uh, water it really? Give it the chance to grow because maybe that person has never had anyone call any kind of tove out of them like wow i see that particular thing in you and kind of nurture it bring it forth what i so love about this too is i almost have to come back again and again to really how deep and how forward looking tove is it's not Mm. just make that person have a better day Mm. or do a good act or something in those almost feel like what we think of when we think of live a good life versus live a tove life it's really different to be thinking like next and then next and then next and then next. If it's a generation, it's a grandfather to a son to their son to their son down the line. And and I, I don't know, it's really powerful. So Mandy and I used to live here in Colorado and we used to dream about what it, now it's called Empowering Ranch, but at the time we just referred to it as The Ranch because we thought Maybe we were going to go buy a property out in the mountains somewhere and and have a place where people could come and do some sort of a spiritual retreat. And as we talked about it, the name just stuck. And eventually we shared it with a mentor who knew how to call Tove out. 
And this mentor would say, I can see Empowering Ranch. And we would sit there and just kind of go, I don't you see can? it. Like, <laughs> right. what do you can? Like, what, really? what do you see exactly? You know, like, mm. what do you, like, literally you can see it or like just, you know, and lots of conversations where this person could see our future or what we had the potential to become. And that really played a huge role in us actually jumping off the cliff six years ago and quitting our full-time public school teaching jobs and choosing to go into teaching from a faith perspective instead. And so, I mean, it was, it was huge that someone could see that in us and foster it, call it out, nurture it, water it. A lot of someones too. Yeah. I've been yeah. so blessed with people who can see it. They can see it and they'll name it, right? It's one thing if I sit here and I think, oh, I see Sam's Tove. But how, like, I see Scott's Tove. Scott sees my Tove. But if we never tell each other, how how's that any encouragement? God didn't like blink, like I dream of genie, and then everything popped into creation. Like he spoke it. So I'm not saying everything has to be done with words, but there is so much power in speaking. Can I share a delightful moment as a teacher with you two, with you three? Would that be cool? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So like I was teaching. I'm here. I said two, three. Two, well, three, I mean, you and know, all of you listening. We're, we're one. We're one. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So I was doing some Socratic teaching with a group of young women a number of years ago. And there was a gal I'd been just getting together with, kind of mentoring. And one of the other women around the table asked the question, well, can you explain to me this word, this concept? And it was, you know, an original language word. And I knew I could answer it. And it was like the Holy Spirit just tapped me and said, you don't. Let this other gal that you've been mentoring, she knows what it is. Like, ask her. So I turned to her and I said, hey, would would you mind sharing? And she, I mean, she just knocked it out of the park teaching one of her peers. And she's gone on. She now works for a ministry where she's reaching out to kids in challenging situations all over the place. It, it's, again, Tove is so much bigger than us. It's so much, and the multi-generational piece. It's got, and it can go in any direction. It doesn't just have to go to the younger. What about all of us who have folks that are older that can learn from us and we can learn from them? Like there's a, kind of goes in all directions. Okay, so clearly this transcends just Genesis, right? Mm, like there's, yeah. of course. there's a litmus test that we were taught being brought up by the parents we were, and it was Jesus's knowing things by their fruit, mm. um, <laughs> knowing a, a good thing from a bad thing by what it produces. And that sounds very tove. I didn't know that, but in this context, it's like, sounds literally tove to me. Yep. Well, and it's actually, so there's one main word for good in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, and that, of course, is tov. There are two main words for good in New Testament. That's one of those words, Sam. When it talks about good fruit, that's one of those two words that's essentially aligned with tov. So tov started in Old Testament, you know, in Hebrew, but then eventually New Testament is written in Greek. And so there, you can align words, not always perfectly, and sometimes you, there isn't a word that is comparable in the other language, but in this situation, tov definitely plays out all the way through New Testament. And there are a couple of Greek words that do that. And that's one of those words of good fruit. So same, same exact vein. So give me a few other places that might show oh, itself. Let's geek out on it. Old Testament or New Testament? Both. Start, yeah. Yeah. Start, yeah. Then just work me through. All right. I'll throw one on the table. All right. Uh, 
in Exodus 2, you're going to have Moses described as a fine child, but that's actually the word tov. So Moses mm. was a tov child, meaning he's going to be a seed that's going to bring forth a whole bunch of life that goes on and on and on and on and on. And his mom sees it. She sees it in this infant. And then whew, the story just explodes from there, right? Mm. No so kidding. theatrical, I say explodes a lot. <laughs> Genesis 2.18, it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not tov for a man to be alone. Yeah. Uh, Yahweh's very name, Psalm 52.9, the name Yahweh is tov. Wait, say more. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, as in the name has the quality of Tove? Oh, well, that's like that veers us off down another wild river of that name. But just the cliff notes me. So Yahweh, Yahweh, this powerful name of God essentially gets at the heart of God being in motion. And we see it at the burning bush incident where he, Moses puts him on the spot. I know your name is Yahweh, but what's it mean? And essentially, God goes into that I am who I am, but I was who I was and I will be who I will be quality. And we see it again happening in New Testament, right? The one who was and is and is to come. So we see this eternal all direction quality of God. And it's this in motion all the time, directional movements it's so like you can't you can't pin god down he's going to always be in motion his very name that motion quality to his name he is active that's tov so just the essence of who he is tov so mandy's talking about moses putting god on the spot and yahweh usually gets translated the lord which is a noun but when he's put on the spot he's you get that famous i am who i am in Exodus 3. And what's interesting about it in Hebrew is that it's an imperfect verb, which it doesn't mean God is imperfect. It just means that the action is not done. Imperfect verbs in Hebrew encapsulate past, present, and future. So when he answers, I am who I am, it's like saying, I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I am a verb that's not done. I'm ongoing, which is Definitely that picture of folding outward tove, right? Right. You were barking up the right tree with like <laughs> layers. What, it, what do you mean that Yahweh is good? Mm. I mean, just Yahweh in and of itself is such a huge expanding category. Mm. We've got more. Give you more, want give more? Some, give, give okay, us more. Um, check this out. God satisfies us with tove. Psalm 103, 5. Go for it, honey. Psalm 23, 6, his goodness, surely his goodness will chase us or follow us all the days of our life. That word is actually persecute as well. So like he's going to persecute us with Tov, which is kind of a bizarre thing. But like, I love the picture of like, no matter what it takes, like God is going to get Tov into us. Like I am going to get this thing into you. It's actually a military term in Hebrew, that word that's getting translated chase or pursue or persecute. And it's like you hunt down every last enemy and kill them. And so like God is going to make sure this thing gets into us. In First Samuel, we've got Samuel described as growing in tove. Love that. Like, oh my gosh, to grow in tove? Yes, please sign me up. I just, I think it's beautiful. 
Isaiah 55, 2, eat tov. Listen diligently to me and eat what is tov and delight yourselves in rich food. Okay, stop. (laughs) (laughs) What does it mean to eat tov? Mm. Mm. Well... Wait, I think we should make them answer. I, that's what I no, was no, thinking. You guys, no, no. Yeah, come on. This. No, all right, we can we can go in your wheelhouse. What do we th- like? What do we think? Any any one of us, all four of us, can answer the question. What do we think? What does it look like to eat something that is a seed that goes to an orchard that is a n- never ending life giving process? Have you ever eaten something like that? Well, we're huge about actually being aware of what we put into our bodies and how it affects mm. our bodies and how mm. it's going to affect the land that it came from and the ecosystem. So we did a podcast recently on hunting and actually it's very conscientious role of our impact in that environment and how we manage the land well and the animals well. And that is as thought of when we prepare the meal with the meat later. So mm. when I think of foods that's tov, I'm thinking of where it came from, how it got prepared, harvested, um, and its effect on my body. So unfortunately, McDonald's is not Tove in my book. (laughs) (laughs) Since Sam took the hunting example, I'm going to go to the analogical version of we're accused rightly of being a consumer generation Mm. slash culture. Um, but obviously consuming consumption, there's this element of being fed. Mm. Um, And I think of... What am I subsisting on? The books, the relationships, uh, the things that I'm actually taking into myself is yes. like um, my daily intake. And there's that test just provided of like consume the things that produce life, that produce life, that produce life um, across. Oh, I'm just laughing. I think it's a good answer because and that's made us delete our social media accounts. Yeah, and, man, and they ignore... made, it, made us get off the internet. <laughs> yeah, it, seriously, yeah, yeah. the whole place is toxic. Can I, I want to th- throw something out there about Scott, if I can. Okay. Yeah. So Scott is, he, we both love to get lost in this stuff, right? Like he went back to his seminary roots. I dove into some of the seminary study of Hebrew and Greek and like, ah, you know, and we have a phenomenal software program we get to use where you can literally spend hours studying this stuff. I will never forget a few years ago, I asked Scott what he wanted for his birthday. Like, honey, what do you want? You know, big party? Do you want to go out? Do you want to take a trip? He said, would you, would you bless me to just spend the day alone in Scripture? 14 hours, 14 hours. Like he barely came out of the office and he was so, he was eating it. It was saturating his pores like, and he was so full of goodness when he came out. And that honestly, it's one of the things I love most about him. He just, he, this man lives off of Tove. So I think what you talk about, what do we subsist on? Who does that on their birthday? I mean, I'm not, trying to elevate him, you know, he, we have our own stuff we no, have to badass. talk to, but I will. Badass, like, it's phenomenal. Sweet. It's phenomenal. That's, that's Tov. He, Can we go New Testament? Can yes. Can accelerate? Yeah. And yes. what happens to this when we cross languages and yeah. epochs? John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for God to, like, really? That's what Jesus says. I love it. I'm the, essentially, I'm the Tov shepherd. Watch how I guard my sheep, how I care for them. Okay, just pause because the language person in me, maybe our audience isn't as interested in this as other members of our audience, but is 
the concept translated because of the co- the coherence of the Bible as one object? Or is there a further thing that's happening? What allows it when you swap languages to keep the core of that word there? That's a great question. I think noticing how the translated word is used all the way through. So two main words in Greek that get translated good, one main word in Hebrew, and we start looking, and we've literally looked at every single instance in both Testaments of how how is this concept translated, how is this word used, how are these words in the New Testament used. So when you start seeing the fidelity of usage, you talked about you will know a tree by its fruit. Like if it produces good fruit, that's the same concept of bearing life in all directions that we see in the Old Testament. Maybe a different word might make it easier to understand, uh, like the word faith. So God is talking about faith throughout Old Covenant, and God talks about faith through New Covenant. And so there are ways to just go, okay, like, even though this one's a Hebrew word that's being used here for faith, and this is a Greek word here being used for faith, we are talking about the same string of idea. To be persuaded to have confidence in something. We see faith essentially having that girth to it in both Testaments. And what's fun too is that even if they are a parallel word between the Testaments, there might be some nuances to each one that also can create some interest and just some richness to it. Awesome. Yeah, give us more. Yeah, you've got more. You know, I've got one more uh, Old Testament one before we go on, because I know that uh, some of the listeners in this Ransom Heart world uh, like this scripture. Jeremiah 6, 16, uh, thus says, Yahweh, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the Tove way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Matthew 13, 8, other seeds fell on good soil. What does it mean that they fall on this soil described in the same way we're talking about Tove? Like soil is going to take and it's going to produce. And can we talk about too, like what is produced through literal Tove in terms of an agricultural context? Sustenance is produced, right? So good soil is going to produce sustenance for the people. If this podcast is truly Tove, it will provide sustenance for the people when we're done with all of it. It's not for our sake. It's, is anybody getting anything that's bringing them life and they're coming alive because they're chewing on what is produced from the land? I like that one. We could go to good heart, good gifts, good man, good news, good hope. It's all, it's all connected to Tove. There are different ways of seeing Tove, doing Tove, choosing Tove, again, being... Our hungry soul is filled with tove things by God, Psalm 107.9. Okay, wait, so we literally cannot get away from this word. Not really. No. And would you want to even if you could? I mean, right? Like it's The trajectory is at first, whoa, this is a heavy word. I don't know that I understand it. And then it becomes, wait, this is pretty cool. Like this is popping up and then it becomes, wait, everything? Like things, I I have clearly misunderstood a key concept here Mm -hmm. if it is this pervasive. Yeah. So what I want to ask from that list is a person wants to begin cultivating Tove in their life and it feels like there's an initial thing of there's understanding and then there's being able to discern and learn. 
And you mentioned vision, like you're called the seat of. What does it look like to become a person who has a vision for Tov? How does that happen? I think what comes to me right away is to just ask for it. And that might sound so trite, but I can't make myself see what I can't see. But scripture talks about seeing in this way. And so first thing I'm going to do is call on the Holy Spirit to help. Just please, like, open my eyes. Help me to see where you're at work and where there's life when I can't see anything but darkness. Uh, That would be a very practical one. I think Scott referenced earlier for us, we are choosing to actively speak Tov when we walk away from encounters with people. And it's changing the way we think. I don't even spend much time thinking about, I didn't like this and that was really irritating. But I, I just... It's diminishing the more I choose to focus on how God sees people. Show me their tove. Show me their seed. We sat next to a lady on the flight today who had on this crazy Thanksgiving turkey hat. You know, and at first I got on the plane. I was like, oh. Was it her mom? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Stacy. But was okay. she on another flight wearing she a turkey hat? She has a drumstick hat? turkey hat. Yes. Costumes unite. <laughs> That was uh, maybe her cousin. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of her people. Right, we'll say. right, right. But this lady wound up being absolutely delightful. Just delightful. Uh, can I see instead of like, oh, Scott gave me the middle seat, so I'm going to be next to this person with the turkey hat. Like, God, show me something about who, who she is. And she was just fabulous. We had a wonderful conversation. Can, can I see the, the tove in her? Did you say how to cultivate it in ourselves? Yes, that too. I think it's actually believing that it's in everyone. Because I think there's a part of us that believe that there are certain people that don't have it. Or certain people that we've written off, whereas in like, done with that person for whatever reason. And I think part of what we're saying there is I don't actually believe that there's anything that could grow in that person or change or really come to life. And, and so I think to cultivate Tove, we have to start to believe that actually every single person has some sort of Tove in them. Oh, I think there's plenty of people who don't believe it about themselves of, wow, some people just seem to have this thing that's producing life, but I have to hustle and scrape for everything that happens, for every way that I improve in my creative ability, gain, make any ground in my relationships, like... I think that I just know, obviously, personally here, that there's a level of belief of, I have this in me. This is true of me. And you're kind of pressing into the idea that it's not all up to us. Whereas what... Am I? (laughs) (laughs) Where most people think, you know, I have to, you know, figure everything out on my own. But there are seeds in us that are growing, whether we want them to grow or not. Like, there's going to be some life that comes out of us. That's... You're right. People don't believe it about themselves. That's huge. We'll just turn it back to Scripture on this front, too. What does it mean to state declarations of what Scripture says is true, and you just you speak them until you believe them? It, it, the whole I Am's by Neil Anderson, right? Just from adolescent era, I remember those. But Scott and I recently started putting things on our mirror in the bathroom, and we would stand there. I'd stand in the Wonder Woman pose, you know, and of course, and say these declarations with conviction. My prayers are powerful and effective, and like I am righteous because of Jesus, and just 
proclaiming them because they are true, even if I don't feel they're true. And it changes things. It, it changes things. It might be a starting point. Pick one thing Scripture says is true and start speaking it over yourself. Like, speak it into existence because God already says it exists. It's, you get to bring it forth by speaking it forth. Boom. Thanks for listening to the podcast today, guys. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we hope that you might send this along to someone in your world. I'm not asking for a five-star rating or a review. Rather, that if something about this podcast struck you, that you might pass this off to somebody that you think would really enjoy it. Looking for more? Good news. There is a new issue of Anson's Magazine. If you're listening to this after October 10th, if it's before October 10th, you can just wait. And there's always the chance we might be late. Sometimes we send you guys over to social media to keep up with us, but so little really happens on social media now. That's kind of a moot point. And make sure you keep your eyes peeled for our films rolling out in the fall. See you guys next week.